The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Hello, welcome to episode 22 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the membership director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined by Kevin Whelan, the founder. Hello, Kevin. Hi, Chris. Afternoon to you. We had a torrid session last week, didn't we? We went a bit over budget on time. <laughs> well, there was a lot to talk about in the investment pillar, which is where we are now, pillar three. And um, you shared a model last week, didn't you? It caught some people's attention. Well, it wasn't really a model. It was just a fun way. As you know, I'm a teacher, so I create mnemonics or acronyms for as many things as I can to make it easy to teach. So just let me say for the record, Chris, we're not saying investments are CRAP, but it's just an interesting way to focus on some of the issues that anybody who's making an investment should be considering as part of their thought process. You know, and, and cost is certainly probably the most important one because any return you get, which is what you're seeking from any investment, was going to be affected by the charges that are applied to it, and we spent a bit of time on that. We did, yeah. And if you're listening now and you didn't hear Wealth Talk 21, which was the last episode, the model was CRAP. So the C was cost. Right? Cost or charges, yeah. Yeah. The R was risk. Risk, yeah. A for accumulate. Yeah, accumulate, which is more important to think about cash flow than accumulate, because the problem with accumulating only is you're almost always dependent on more What's going to happen at the very date that I need the money? Do you see what I mean? So uh, if you imagine you were retiring, you know, if all of your investment money and your pension money is geared up towards a retirement date, and let's imagine that date was 2008, and you were arriving at your retirement journey in 2008, and the stock market gets hit completely, you haven't done anything except exposed your money to an incredible risk by hoping to accumulate instead of doing different things along the journey to build cash flow, build capital, mitigate risk. You know, I talked about the interconnection Mm. of all the different assets and how they play together. And as you hear from our students, you'll hear them talk about different ways that they're mixing up their assets in a very, very clever way which is unique to them, not to me, but the principles are always the same. Mm. You know, invest at low cost, manage and, 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 and consider your risk, do due diligence to mitigate the risk, make sure you're mixing up your objectives so you don't have all eggs in one basket, that diversification mm. concept, and have a process that works for you. And that's the P. That's the P. Mm. And the process doesn't have to be give the money to somebody else and hope they've got a better process than you. Is think about yourself and work out a process that can work for you. And if you remember, actually, you know, I had somebody say to me when they heard this uh, podcast, Chris, that um, the word investment stems from a Latin word, which is investiri, which kind of means to wear the clothes of. You know, and you remember that uh, principle, which means you're invested in something. So if you wear the clothes, you you know, you're dressed very differently to me, right? <laughs> we know that. <laughs> and so I'm me and you are you. So we wouldn't wear the same clothes. So why would we invest in the same way? Yeah. And we should not. 
Yeah. Um, we should invest it with who we are. Mm. And I talked last time about my particular style of investing in the market is about choosing firms and companies and businesses with a high level of recurring income, which means high level of recurring value. And that means my investments in the market, I feel anyway, reflect me and are better protected because that's the way I choose to invest. And I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about how I do that, but it doesn't make it right for you. Yeah. And it's, again, we mentioned the technology. It's an area now that's changing so fast and so quickly. And technology is really allowing people to invest at much lower cost and have so much more options and choice. Exactly. And be able to manage money with a process that's comfortable for them, whether it's in a beach in Barbados or whether they're in a hotel room in um, Australia or in a bedsit or well, not a bedsit, a house sit mm. uh, in Australia, for example, you can do it from wherever you want to do it, uh, particularly with use of technology. Mm. So it'd be good to hear from some of our you know, clients and partners and see what they're doing. Yeah. So let's head on over and listen to the Wealth Builder members share how they are using the investment pillar. Hey, so I'm with Wealth Builders member Jeremy Downing. How are you today, Jeremy? I'm great. Thanks, Christian. Well, welcome to Wealth Talk, Jeremy. And you show people how to empower themselves by managing their investments in the stock market, which saves them a huge amount of annual fees that are normally paid in the investment world. And you show people how to lock in profit as they make it. So would you mind sharing a bit more around that, please, Jeremy? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Yes. So um, what I basically show people to do is managing their own investments instead of going through a third party, which is what I call retail investing. And traditionally in retail investing, the amount of charges that people pay annually in retail investing, there's an average of 2% paid by people. Whether the people who are managing your investing make you any money or not, they usually still levy those 2% of annual charges. Um, So what I teach people to do is to manage the investments themselves so they don't have those annual charges. So, for instance, if somebody was investing $100,000 in the stock market or £100,000, obviously 2000 of that would go in fees each year and that actually so even though you're making money your money that you're making is getting pegged back regularly as these charges are taken every year now to give you an example of what i can show people to do um, i can show people how to invest in the stock market through an online broker and if they invested a hundred thousand dollars and invested in an asset-based fund in the stock market that's the kind of funds i recommend to invest in that investment to make would cost four dollars and 95 cents in contrast to two thousand dollars um and and so so it's a it's a it's a big it's a big difference it's a massive difference when you when you manage things yourselves so that's that's an idea of the cost savings and then um and then in terms of of locking in profit What's important to understand when a fund manager is managing your money is that they're managing a huge amount of money. You know, there's in some cases billions of dollars of assets. And if the market um, gets into a downturn and, and has a major pullback or a crash, a fund manager in that environment 
um, isn't able to uh, take your funds off the table, if you like, and stop you losing that amount of money in the market because they've got so much. If they tried to sell its basic economics, they will crash the market even further. So what they do is they tell you to hold on to it and ride the crash out. And then you might have to wait a few years for the market to recover. Whereas I can show people uh, because because your own personal amount of money is a lot smaller amount of money. You can actually put an advanced order into the market, which stays there whether you're sleeping on holiday or whatever. And uh, and you can say if the market falls by more than this amount, I want to take my money off the table and you can you can sell your stock and revert back into cash. And then you can go back in when the market's recovering. Um, and that is, is a is a huge, huge advantage in uh, in managing your own investments and getting more out of the market. So you're in exactly the same market as the fund manager, but you're able to play the market a bit smarter without any complexity, without lots and lots of investigation. You're just able to do a few things that a fund manager physically can't do uh, because of the amount of money they're managing. And that can give you a great advantage. So, you know, it's basically uh, saving fees, protecting yourself in a downturn and then the third aspect is being able to lock in profit as your as your investment goes up in value you can add to that advanced order that would take you out of the market you can keep moving that point up where you would come out of the market so eventually say your fund has gone up by 15 percent and you and you want to come out if your fund loses 15 percent then once it's gone up by 15 percent and you've moved that advanced order up basically you have got a, a no risk situation in the stock market and if the market continues trending up for a few years which it quite often does once it's recovered then then you can keep locking in more and more profit which is something that your fund manager isn't actually able to do so um, so that's kind of it in a nutshell those three aspects that sounds fantastic jeremy and um in your experience uh, what are some of the common mistakes that people um make who are holding funds and is there anything that you haven't mentioned which you see often which is something that someone can 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 change quickly and improve yeah i i think i think one of the, one of the main things is people invest in individual companies and and they that there's this kind of myth that some companies are so big they can't possibly fail um, and when I'm speaking on stage, I often give an example of Kodak, which, uh, you know, in the 70s was was a company that looked like it could never fail and had totally cornered its market. And, and technology disrupted them. And, and, you know, ordinary photographic film went out and Kodak is still around, but they're a, a shadow of their former selves. And they lost sort of 90, 95 percent of their market value over a very short period of time and, and you know, nearly went completely bankrupt out of business. And, um, and you know, people. People point to firms, you know, like IBM and Apple and not giving any recommendation or saying, you know, what not to do here. But but any individual company is is subject to one of those disruptors. And what people consider safe isn't necessarily safe. So what I teach people to do is invest in funds which are invested in assets. Um, so examples, property um, or an, a stock market index, which is made up of a lot of different companies. So you've got really good diversification or precious metals, or there's many asset classes that people uh, might prefer and have got what I would call intrinsic value. So they've got a value where they're not going to fall below that because there is actually an intrinsic value there and there's nothing that can disrupt that intrinsic value. Um, so, you know, property is a good example. Most people would say, well, property does ping about a bit in certain circumstances, depending on where you are in the world. But there's a there's an ultimate value 
through through which you know it can't go to the floor it can't go to zero and that's that's always an important thing when you're investing excellent thank you very much for sharing your insights around the investment pillar with us today jeremy okay that's great christian my pleasure okay so i'm with manish kataria welcome to wealth talk manish Thanks very much, Christian. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, Manish, I know you've been working with investors to help them understand more about development projects. Would you mind sharing a bit more around that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, I've set up Invest Like a Pro, which is a, which is a sort of website and an investor circle uh, where I work with other investors. I do a lot of due diligence um, into investment opportunities. Most of them uh, are sort of development projects, so development finance. So I I tend to do the due diligence, um, looking into the viability of these projects, looking into the security and looking into the underlying project fundamentals. And if it's something that looks interesting, if it's something that I want to invest in, um, you know, other investors are likely to follow me in. So so that's the, in a nutshell, what, what I do for other investors. Okay, and and when it comes to due diligence, which you mentioned there, it's such an important piece. What are some of the common mistakes that that you see people when they really don't cover off that due diligence element correctly? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a really critical element of any investment um, analysis. You've got to do your own independent due diligence. You know, it's it's a really good question because what I see a lot of um, right now is, you know, a lot of sort of slick presentations, you know, in this day uh, and age of social media, it's very, very easy to get a very sort of good, uh, high profile uh, sort of message out there. Uh, and people get sort of sucked into uh, sort of sound bites and uh, the sort of typical sort of slick marketing that that you know, uh, we see every day. And what I say to people is, you know, cut through that slick marketing, focus on the numbers, focus on the on the fundamentals. So know your numbers, uh, do due diligence on the developer, look at, their, look at their track record, you know, what is their approach to risk management, you know, get, get to know what the project is all about. Is it actually going to make any money for you? Um, you know, what is the GDV going to be like? You know, stress test the costs. Um, and there's so many elements which we don't really have time to cover on this. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've sort of written lots of articles on my website which can take you through the details of, of the due diligence process. And finally, you know, if you're investing into projects uh, where there's security being offered, you really want to get to the bottom of how, how good that security is. Does the valuation stack up? for you because at the end of the day you know that's your downside protection if you're investing into something and if that security isn't going to be worth what you hoped it would be you're not going to have that downside protection Mm -hmm. and a lot of our listeners will be perhaps invested in uh, residential property what are some of the additional benefits of development finance Manish? I think it's it's complementary. Uh, most investors, including myself, uh, that I work with, um, you know, they have their own residential portfolio, but also invest their surplus cash or their pension pot um, or their ISA money into into development finance projects. And I think the two go hand in the hand. Um, you know, when you own your own properties, you know, there's a lot of um, sometimes a lot of work involved. Um, you know, it's it's not a passive investment. It's an active investment where you're going out 
uh, looking after tenants, repairs and all the rest of it. When you're investing in somebody else's project on a passive basis, you don't have any of that headache uh, in terms of dealing with tenants and so forth. What it also gives you is, um, you know, it enables you to diversify and diversification is, is another key element of my DD. So when you're investing into other people's projects, you can have 10, 12, 15 projects on the go. Um, if you've got, say, a £100,000 uh, sort of investment pot, you can put £10,000 into, into each of these projects. So you're getting good diversification as well. So those are the, the main sort of advantages. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you very much for sharing your information with us today, Manish. You're welcome. Good to speak, Christian. Okay, so Jeremy, you gave that great example of someone who perhaps has £100,000 and the traditional route of having a, a fund manager or a broker charging around 2%, as we said last week, is, uh, is right. an average kind of fee. Yeah. You'll be paying £2,000. And Jeremy empowers people and shows people how to take control, use an online platform. Yeah. Four dollars. Yeah, I mean Jeremy is a very, very smart man, and 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 you know, will is a good teacher as well. And I think he's got also a very interesting way that he approaches the marketplace, and very similar in some respects to the points I made about Warren Buffett um, in recent in the recent podcast, where we talked about him using his position mm-hmm. in owning owning something and creating value from renting out that position. So Jeremy's a skilled man in the area of using options and many, many ways of doing that in more complex things. So definitely would be someone to look up if you want to invest in the marketplace. But one of the things that I love about what Jeremy teaches and, and hear this one too, that he encourages all of his students, people who follow what he does, for example, to test at all of their investments in a safe environment. In other words, in a simulator in the same way as you want a pilot Mm -hmm. to learn how to fly a jumbo jet in a simulator you don't get them to test flying with 300 or 400 passengers behind them you know and go whoa no 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 he's very very cautious not just on his behalf but on their behalf and sometimes people who don't know what they don't know will say well trading is risky Mm. or trading means you've got to sit by a computer Every day, I remember uh, having a conversation with Jeremy. I can't remember the exact time. He looks at his watch or gets a reminder on his watch just to look at his position. But uh, let's say, for the sake of an argument, it's it's four fifteen. He looks at four fifteen, and then if there's nothing to do, he just comes back to the conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's literally five minutes. Yeah, you know. So he knows how to do that. He's trained himself to do that, and it suits him. Now that would not suit me. But it suits him. And for those who are interested in that, definitely, Jeremy would be somebody to look up. Yeah. So Jeremy obviously showed how to massively reduce the costs. But he also talked about the risk element through the use of stop losses. Yeah. Well, I talked about stop losses Mm. last time in the mountain and, you know, hammering in those anchors to keep you safe. And that's really all you're doing. And why wouldn't anybody do that? I mean, why wouldn't you want to be safer than risking the market just completely falling, which we see it happen time and time. History is a great teacher, and it tells us it will happen again. So some of those things that Jeremy shared, which I echo, of course, uh, is to use those skills and use those techniques, and they're not difficult to learn. 
You know, it isn't something that will take you a lifetime mm. to learn. You can learn it in a few days. Mm. And if you're using those online brokers, it's very, very simple now to just go in, put the figures in, and, and that's it. And test. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure you're comfortable with it. And before you commit to flying in, again, like a simulator, you know, you test in the simulator and then mm-hmm. you bring that to the real world later on. So Manish talks a lot about the due <clears throat> diligence aspect, and that's, of course, a key part of the Wheel of Wealth. Absolutely is a key part of the Wheel of Wealth. And, you know, if you look at Manish, he's got that incredible background in the city, managing assets, understanding things, and he escaped the rat race. Um, and, you know, he's very much focused now on bringing the principles of good stewardship and due diligence and portfolio management, but to a much wider range of things. So he will do that inside his SaaS, for example. He'll do that with his stocks, but also he'll do that with the money he invests in property, but not necessarily by buying the property and saying, hey, I'm going to buy you know, rental property in Pillar 4, I'm going to buy, 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 buy property. He's looking to see how he can make his money work like a bank. So he's acting like a bank and taking the risks of a bank, which are low risk. So there's no relationship necessarily between the risk and reward payoff we'd see in a stock market investment where you need to take a higher risk to get a return. And we don't always get the same payoff, as I mentioned last time. You don't get double the risk or double the return by taking double the risk. But Manish has learned and teaches and helps others uh, you know, create good returns on the money with an incredible amount of diligence, which means he can get 8, 10, 12% on his money without the risk that you would take to get that in the stock market. Mm. And that's a very, very skillful thing to do. And that's the sort of thing that it's easy, again, to learn that process if that process could work for you. It's teachable, and he's a great teacher too. Yeah. So the one thing that all of our guests there have shown is taking control over your finances. And for those familiar with the Wealth Builders logo and we have the, the seven pillars, but on the right-hand side, we've got the three pillars of home capacity and pensions and investments, where typically right. there isn't so much control, is there, over those three? I think there isn't, and I call them the parked pillars, and they tend to be people just have them and kind of accept them as they are without any challenge. Yet you can bring those very pillars to life. We heard from previous episodes of people bringing their homes to life, their pensions to life, and their investments to life. And isn't it more fun and more engaging when you make your money feel like it's part of you, not a part of somebody else? Mm. Otherwise, you're hoping somebody else knows more than you, and there's no real evidence that they bring any more value than you can bring by just focusing on low cost, learning a new process, and doing things for yourself. Yeah. So last week's episode, we really spent most of the time talking about the stock market. And today we've started to branch out a little bit more. And next week, I think we might even look at some newer areas as well. Yeah, so Manish has has introduced the idea, of course, in the idea of being in the lending market, which is kind of combining property and money, but without owning the property. And we'll see next week there are interesting ways – of participating in some of the other assets, Chris, in the marketplace, but by doing so as part of a crowd or as part of a 
let's say you know you're you're investing as part of a in a product where the basket of what you're investing in is packaged in a way that is much more easy for you to understand. So we'll talk about crowd funding and the three different ways you can do that. We'll talk about investing in businesses in a way that's different from just buying the shares or owning the business. So there's just lots and lots of different ways that you can make your money work. And the more we share, the more people can identify. Is that interesting? Is that something that might appeal to them? With the knowledge that it's not our purpose to promote an investment. We're not saying, this is great, why don't you do that? We're just saying, hey, these are things that people are doing. You know, have a look, see if that might interest you to learn about that and follow the wheel of wealth, you know, to get the education, to get the right support, to make connections in a safe community, to do the due diligence and then decide whether to take action. And then as you turn the wheel and, and it works for you, then it's building more cash flow, it's building more capital for you to build towards your wealth because the purpose of this pillar is still to add to wealth. No pillar exists on its own. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. You don't invest for investment's sake. You invest with a view to building your wealth or in some cases to protect your wealth that you've already built. But let's say for now, most of our students are trying to build that wealth. And let's talk next week about the different ways they could do that. Uh, and, and I think I'd make one point, Chris, in parting on this week's episode, which is the reason why it's important to have some pillars which are a little less difficult to manage is to get your money to work, but at the same time give you the freedom to invest more of your time and more of your money with assets where you can invest directly in yourself. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if you love property, but you want to be invested in the market, then it might be the best thing to do to invest in the lowest cost, easiest way to manage. Whereas if you love the stock market, like Jeremy does, then you would invest much more time in the learning of how to do that. And he might invest less time in investing in property, but might invest like Manish does in lending. Mm-hmm. So everybody's different in the, in the, the way, it's a kind of a pick and mix, the way that people choose. And it's not for us to tell people but just to show them the opportunities for them to make their own decision. It's true empowerment, but in a way that's truly collaborative, comes from a place of trust. Because when you think about it, we've been doing this now for a very long time, and all the good people, we kind of know who they are. And uh, over the course of the future months, as we expose more of our trusted partners to our audience, you know, we want to bring in this rating system, don't we, to encourage in the same way as you trip advisor a hotel um you know you're dealing with the various people that we trust and continue to reassure us that they're operating at the highest level and certainly jeremy would be one of those people and manish is definitely part of our trusted partnership yeah well that's great and looking forward to those and of course if you're not connected then do join us in the wealth builders facebook group and head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash facebook and I think most of the members of the podcast, the, the guests that we've been having, they're, they're in the Facebook group as well. So if you want to connect, that's a great place to head to. Yeah, and if you don't have time to do that or it's not your thing, don't forget to post the question um, using SpeakPipe. Yep, that's at wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash wealth talk. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Looking forward to next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. And uh, we'll, we'll take the lid off some of the 
other ways for people to invest. And uh, we'll be rapidly approaching the property pillar, which is, wow, that's going to take us a few episodes to deal with that one. It is. Thanks for listening today. See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership. 